Well, I want to talk about friendship again today. A true friend is going to stir you up. A true friend will stir you up. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. There's a poem I'll read. It says, Give me the avowed, the erect, the manly foe, bold I can meet, perhaps return his blow. But of all the plagues, good heaven, thy wrath can send, save me, oh save me, from the candid friend. This poem speaks about an aspect of friendship which most of us probably would rather do without. We don't like candid friends. Why? Because they tell us we don't look good with polka dots and stripes, among other things. The candid friend is going to speak to you in a way that can be uncomfortable. And so this morning's passage, we're going to talk about this kind of honesty, and it tells us that only an enemy will ignore issues that we may need to face. A true friend, on the other hand, will confront us with the truth that we need to hear. And I don't like that, especially when it comes from the person that lives with me in my house. She's brutally honest. But, you know, I married my best friend 50 years ago. She's been my best friend. I'd rather hang out with her than y'all. But, but uh, she, she can be honest, and, and it stings. A true friend will be honest with us because they want to help us. They're willing to stir us up. And let's think about this aspect of true friendship. The one, the first, I'm going to have two points. The first thing is, a true friend is honest. A true friend is honest. Wounds from a friend. A true friend is willing, if need be, to confront you with painful truth. He's willing to tell you what you need to hear in order to help you. A true friend shares his honesty out of concern, not out of criticism. You know, we, as friends, can really do that sometimes. We can be, we can be critical of something that, that we really we don't, we don't have a clue what a person's going through, and maybe they're going through some deep water, and we don't understand it, but we're ready to pounce and be critical rather than being concerned. And this can get sticky. Stop judging me! Who are you to tell me how to run my life? I know things that you did. I know all about those things that you did. I don't know anything that you did. Well, that one thing, but... You know, and, and so we get caught off balance because maybe there was something that, they, that we did and they throw that into our face. But you know, if we are really where we're supposed to be as a friend, if we truly are wanting to stir this person up in friendship, we're not going to allow them to deflect or throw us off track. We need to stick with it. If we're seeking to restore a brother or a sister in Christ, we have a responsibility to them. Galatians 6, 1 and uh, following says, Dear brothers and sisters, that's us, 
If anyone, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And Paul is telling us it, it isn't the super saint. This is the person that is that at this time of their life, they have that close walk with, with Jesus. And so they're saying that if, if any of you are spiritual, if any of you are walking right with God, restore that brother or that sister that's fallen into sin. And that's the first responsibility of us as spiritual believers, to restore a fallen brother or sister and pick them up. You know, if their foot slips, isn't God the God of the second chance? Do I hear an amen there? Because some of you and me are probably operating on the 50-second chance. When a person stumbles, his first need is to get up. And lots of times, that person needs help, a hand from a friend. Responsibility for the discipline of those who stumble, as well as for those who commit more serious sins, rests on the shoulders of the, of the, the church leadership. And, and hopefully that church, our church, and, and it's not hopefully, I believe, our church leadership are men of God. Uh, I, I, uh, I don't have a doubt in my mind that our guys are truly men of God. Spiritual believers are those walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, showing the fruits of the Spirit, who by virtue of their spiritual strength are responsible for those who are fleshly, those who are, who are operating outside the, the realm of, of the spiritual. And it should be noted that, that whereas maturity is relative, depending on one's progression and growth, spiritual re, spirituality is an absolute reality that is not related at all to growth. You can be young in the Lord and be truly spiritually minded and walking in, in direct, uh, uh, direct line with Jesus Christ, and you haven't been in the Word very long at all. But at any point in the life of a Christian, he's either walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. And that's, we can't, there, there is no purgatory here in the, in the spiritual walk. You either, you either is, you is, or is, you ain't. There is, there is no mystery in between here. The, the, the spiritually and morally strong have that responsibility for the spiritually and morally weak. And, and so a true friend puts into practice Paul's admonition in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.15, he says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Can you say that with me? Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, us. We will speak the truth in love. It sounds easy, doesn't it? It's really, really hard. You know, that, that we, we want to... And I, I was, I was uh, a little bit... I started to, uh, 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 to get, get my, my ire up, and, and uh, I got calmed down by my wife. And I wasn't going to speak the truth in love. But she spoke the truth in love to me, spoke truth into my life, and I shut up. <laughs> and, and, you know... That's the way it should be. As a, a brother or sister in Christ, we should be able to do that. Only the mature believer who is growing up to the measure and the stature of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ 
is consistent in having sufficient wisdom to understand God's truth. And the truth is God's, that, that God is love. And so the combination of truth and love counteracts the two great threats to ministry and, and threats to our faith. Um, lying and a lack of compassion. I didn't do that. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. You're lying. Well, get over it. You know, that's lack of compassion and lying, and that will destroy ministry. It destroys our spiritual growth. The loving, authentic testimony assists believers in growing into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. Truthfulness without tenderness is calloused. But truthfulness when, with, with, tr- with tenderness with truthfulness, I, I got that messed up. Truthfulness without tenderness is calloused. Tenderness without truthfulness is cowardly. But truthfulness with tenderness is to be, is, is to be that, that Christ-likeness that we should uh, uh, mimic. Eighty-four times in Scripture, Jesus said in the, New, in the Gospels, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You know, Jesus never, you never hear Jesus saying, ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Jesus never said that. He, he, he did the verily, verily. You know, when you hear a verily, verily, it's usually followed by, I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says verily, verily, you better be listening. Actually, he's saying, truly, truly, I tell you the truth. <laughs> He didn't hesitate to speak the truth, and neither should we if we're a true friend. Look what he did. He was, man, what he did with Peter. You know, Peter, he, he was the traditional foot-and-mouth guy. And his heart was in the right place. It really was. But, but usually, his, his, his foot always got in, in his mouth. You know, he, had, he, he, he really had a taste for sandals, <laughs> He, he was, he, and, and Jesus had to call him out on it. And, and Jesus would, would be gentle with him. But, I mean, when he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, I mean, that's pretty harsh. You know, Peter, Satan has been sifting you like sand. That's harsh. But he did it out of love. He wanted to restore his... his his brother. Eighty-four times he did this. So but in seeking to share truth with a friend, we got to be tender. We need to be gentle. You know, just because you have the truth doesn't make you the, the repository of, of all knowledge and you can just blast them. Let me tell you a story. I got ripped by a deacon in the church I got saved in back in Illinois. I worked at Associates Finance. I repossessed wheelchairs and furniture. <laughs> it paid the bills. The, the, uh, right around the corner was the Wonder Lounge. Now, the Wonder Lounge, and, and keep in mind that I didn't need to be in places like that because I was an alcoholic. But, but right around the corner, this Wonder Lounge had the best hot ham and cheese sandwiches in the entire county of McLean. Oh, they were great. And, and, you know, right after payday, I'd go and get one. 
and I'd bring it back to the office and eat it at my desk. Well, I was coming out of the Wonder Lounge, and bright sunny day, the birds were singing. I had Jesus in my heart carrying my brown bag, <laughs> a brown bag out of a tavern. I wonder what he's got in there. Nobody thought it was a Sam, uh, Sam Hamwich. <laughs> that too. <laughs> and so this deacon happened to be rolling by. And he saw me with his brown bag coming out of the, of the beer joint. And I went and he immediately called the preacher. And the pastor, the, the pastor and the deacon came to my office. Ripped me apart of being... Uh, of of uh, being someone who was supposedly a Christian, hanging out in this in this den of iniquity, and that I never knew den of iniquity. That's is that at the zoo? And you know, it it uh, got me to the place. They dressed me down pretty good, and it got me to the place of uh, having an attitude of, you know, they could have had this be a, uh, a teachable moment, but they didn't. They just beat me up. And my attitude was, if that's Christianity, I don't need any part of this. I got treated better as a heathen. Well, fortunately, my, my spiritual father uh, calmed me down, got me off the ledge, and uh, it worked out, so I'm here. But I don't go, and in fact, they tore the Wonder Lounge down. So you can't, if you want a good ham sandwich, you've got to go someplace else. My point is, be careful of your approach when dealing with young immature Christians because you being right without compassion without love can destroy them Matthew seven twelve says do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets how do I want to be treated how do I want to be treated and apply those insights to how I should go about confronting a friend with helpful truth in love. I see five ways in which we all want to be treated. I, I, do, I see five, five things that, that we, we could... Uh, no, my belt's not too tight. <laughs> She's trying to get me in suspenders. Let's apply these things when we confront our... our our friends in love. We all want others to appreciate us, don't we? We all want to be appreciated. The deepest principle, William James said this, the deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. Don't want your medals. Don't want your money. Just say thanks. That's enough. When you seek to confront a friend with a helpful truth, express appreciation for him. But it's not, you're, I, you know, I thank you, my brother, and then you rip them to shreds. It's showing a true appreciation for them. Second thing is, we want, we want people to listen to us. We, we do. We want that. I hear it all the time at 216 Southeast 48th Street. You never listen to me. Well, uh, no, I hear you. Yeah, you hear me, but you don't listen to me. And hearing is simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. That's hearing. Listening is choosing to appropriate what you're hearing into your life. 
Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes the meaning of the words and sentences into our life. When confronting a friend with helpful truth, be willing to listen to him. You know, there's two sides to every, every story, isn't there? And sometimes you flip a coin, it's heads, it's tails, and sometimes it lands on its edge. So that could be, you know, the truth, the untruth, or, or something in the middle that we can't really explain. And that's a big difference. We want people to understand us. We need to listen to our friend as we tell him what we believe he needs to hear in order to understand his perspective. Why is it that you are the way you are? Why did you do what you did? Is there any real rationale in your behavior? Not to, to, to not demonstrate a desire to understand another is to communicate unconcern. I just want to... I, I just want to set you straight. I'm really not interested in, in what you have to say. And the last thing is, we want people to forgive us. If that which you're led to confront your friend about has to do with a personal offense, you do not do it until you can do so with a spirit of forgiveness. A person will more easily deal with his mistakes if he knows he has forgiveness for them already. I had a pastor friend down in in, uh, southern Missouri, and his wife was just a dear, godly woman. And I asked her, I said, Kathy, what would you do if, if Jim was unfaithful to you? She says, he never has, he never will, but I've already forgiven him. That's a, that was really powerful, and, and uh, she has since, last year, she went home to be with the Lord. Uh, pray for Jim Duncan. He's, he's really lonesome, and he, he misses his bride. But a person is going to deal more readily with his mistakes if he knows forgiveness has already been given. Hemingway, in, his, uh, in a short story, The Capital of the World, tells a story about a father and his teenage son. And it was kind of a, it's kind of a secular uh, prodigal son story and the kid just uh, he didn't get anything from dad but he took off and he was oh he was a rascal that kid was he, he was just he was just awful and his name was Paco and it was a very very common name in Spain and so dad was missing him and he put an ad in the newspaper and he said in Madrid and he said the ad simply read uh, Paco dear Paco meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon all is forgiven I love you the next day, 800 boys, this is how he wrote it. it, this isn't a true story, but in his story he said 800 boys named Paco showed up because they wanted to be forgiven by their father. As we want that. We want dad's approval, but we also need dad's forgiveness. Remember that when you confront a friend with the truth that they need to hear. We all want to... Uh, have people encourage us. Don't we all like attaboys? Or, well, atta people. <laughs> I, love, I love to say, I, I love people to say, thanks, John. Great job. You blessed my gizzard. Appreciate you. 
everybody, everybody likes that. Um, Queen Victoria in the, in the Victorian era had, had two famous prime ministers. Uh, one of them was William Gladstone and the other was Benjamin Disraeli. We hear lots about these two guys. Of Gladstone, the Queen said, when I'm with him, I feel I am with one of the most important leaders of the world. But Desraeli made her feel as if I'm one of the most important leaders of the world. Disraeli became her friend. Disraeli, uh, uh, Gladstone provoked her admir- admiration, but Disraeli stirred her up. Always seek to help your friend think good of himself in a positive light. Remember that God did not bring you into this relationship to see through one another, but to see one another through. Which brings us to a reason why a true friend is honest with those God has brought into his life. A true friend, the second point, a true friend is helpful. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Nobody likes to be called low down and high smelling. But a true friend can wound us and yet he's trusted. In being honest with others, a true friend will want to help us in one of three ways. He'll want to help his friends receive the best, uh, a, a personal and growing relationship with God. A true friend wants that for us. John fourteen six says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Would a person be a true friend if he knew the cure for cancer and withheld it? Of course not. Likewise, we have an obligation to point others to him and encourage them to enter into a personal and growing relationship with him. Uh, a, a believer, uh, the, the, a true friend uh, wants to believe the best about a person, about their friend. Uh, a perspective on life only God can give. Believe the best. Don't always be looking for the worst in somebody. A true friend will urge those God has brought into his life to believe the Word of God. A true friend points others to the truth of God's Word so they might never forget that through Christ they're a child of the King. I'm dealing with a young man. His name, well, he's not all that young, he's 58. Well, I guess that is young. His name's Kevin. Kevin is dying of renal failure over in Manhattan. He's a veteran, lost a leg and lost a foot. He's diabetic. Pray for Kevin. Kevin doesn't know Jesus. He's had 15 days to live. That was a month ago, and he's still hanging on. He's starting to walk again. He's supposed to be on dialysis, and he says, it makes me sick. I'm not taking it anymore. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And he's telling me this. And because we're vets and we, we shared some, 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 some of the same things in life, he, uh, he's got horrible PTSD. And, and I found this bond with this man. And I told him, I want to be your friend. And I've got, I said, Kevin, where are you going? You're going to die. You know, that, it's, that's, I mean, he's dying. He knows it. You're going to die. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to spend eternity? Are you just going to go in a hole in the ground and that's it? The worms eat you and no more. So I really don't know. I said, well, I'm going to tell you. There's a heaven and there's a hell. I believe it. And I want to, I want to tell you about that. And so this has been going on for two weeks. I was out there uh, uh, Friday, 
and he, there were too many people. He says, come back Tuesday, John. He says, I want to talk to you more about this. Pray that I'm going to be able to share Christ out of love for this man. I don't, I don't know him. You'll never meet him. He comes to Christ. You'll meet him in heaven. He'll be the guy with only one leg. Uh, that maybe he'll grow another one up there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's going to be an angel and he'll fly around. But uh, pray for Kevin. And we want to believe the best because they could be, he could be a child of the king. Achieve their best. That's what, we, uh, what friends want. They want us to achieve, the, achieve the, uh, our best. The, this is the potential which God alone can help us. A true friend is going to urge God, will urge those God has brought into uh, our life to do God's will by pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's a true friend. You want to keep your eye on the finish line. If you're in a race, don't look behind you. Don't look beside you. You need to focus on the finish line. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. See, this, this life thing that we're that we're in is, is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's long term. My brother Jerry's been running this race for 80 years. Imagine that sometimes he's, he's tripped, stumbled, but he's still running. And he's, he's, he's like that diesel. You can't you know, it, it takes a while to get him going, but once you do, you can't stop him. He's running the race of endurance that God set before him. How do we do it? We do it, we, we follow an example of a man of God, of a woman of God, who, and, by, and they, they, they do this by keeping their eye on the finish line. That finish line is Jesus Christ. We're going to... We're going to, like Kevin, we're going to die. And when we die, we're going to go to one place or another. And if we're running that race by keeping our eye on Jesus Christ, having received Him as our Savior, having asked for forgiveness of our sin, we will spend eternity in heaven with Him because we've crossed that finish line. We've won the race. We've received a victor's crown. A true friend is one who lifts you near to God. Are you being a true friend to those God has brought into your life? Do your friends, my friend, <laughs> do your friends stir you up? Are, you on, are, they, are they honest with you? And are they helpful? Are they honest enough to say, you are low down and high smelling, <laughs> but I love you. And here's how I can help you get cleaned up. I want you to keep your eye on that finish line. Well, John, I'm already saved. I know, but you're looking to the side. You're looking behind. You're not looking at Jesus Christ. Are they honest with you? Are they helpful? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message. Lord, I thank you for uh, the worship that we had this morning. 
And Lord, uh, I would just pray that each of us would be authentic friends, that we would be at a place where we would stir one another up out of love, that we would speak the truth in love to one another, that we truly would be honest with those who have fallen in sin or those who need to be encouraged. Lord, may we be helpful to one another. And Lord, if there's one here today that does not know Jesus as Savior, may this be the day that they say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all. I really, truly don't. But this has struck a chord with me. I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. Lord, I know that without you, that'll never happen. So in the best way I know how, I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me my sin. And I invite you to come into my life and save me. And when you died on that cross... You died in my place that I could live with you forever in heaven. And I thank you for that. And if you've prayed that prayer, my friend, and you never have before, nobody looking around, slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. Anybody at all. Anybody at all. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, I pray for this this meal that we're about to receive. Bless the hands that prepared it. I ask that you use it to strengthen and nourish us that we might better serve you in your son's precious name and for his sake. Amen.